great sage, as the planets bring in the circle of time what is old again to light, it seems we live in days of legend. Tonight my son sleeps in a room across this court, yet into our mere human house was brought, it seems, in the hands of gods. Ten months ago, Maya, our queen, as often, went to bestow gifts and alms on the poor and the Brahmin priests and other ascetics. For no banquet feasts her heart so much as giving of good gifts, above all when the moon's energy lifts such acts in power. It was a full moon day as now. Returned in the noon heat, she lay to rest, silk shaded in an upper room, but cooled more richly by those webs the loom of dreams throws round the sleep of innocent minds. For with that sudden heart leap that unbinds the playful spirit from the heaped body's trance, she found herself pillowed, lifted at once dizzyingly high over a diamond range of our crag needled Himalaya and strange generous faces, bearded, laughing-eyed, elaborately crowned, rose at each side, and the bed floated raft-like on their hands, who can lift mountains, or eclipse whole hands with a palm shadow. And so the four great kings, guardians of space, gentle protectors of beings, gatekeepers of the directions, carried her with no more than a summer's breeze stir through ice-clear air down to a golden house perched on a silver mountain. Perilous the pinnacles and rifts of shining snow that walled it from the clouded world below, but in its court a sun-meshed lotus pool asked her to bathe. She plunged, stretched, floated, cool and weightless in the water, until she was beckoned by three maidens. One toweled her dry, the second gave her perfumes and garlands, and the third led under the golden gables to a bed. She lay and sighed, and so, asleep, she dreamed she slept again, and as she slept, it seemed she dreamt, sleep within sleep, world within world, dream within dream, as the shut lotus is curled inside the bud, and the bud deep in the pool dreams of the light. It seemed the air was full of music, and she lay under a tree whose woven branches were the harmony of stars and numbers, and where bright birds sang garlands of language, fugues of speech that rang with praise of waking. And she turned to see, approaching, treading the soft grass delicately, a royal elephant, unharnessed, white as rice or quartz. He bowed down at her right side, then knelt, reached forward with his trunk, and gently, suddenly struck her. She would have shrunk awake from such a blow, but as she dreamed, it caused no pain or shock. The creature seemed to pass into her body, and remained under her heart, a white pearl that retained its radiance visibly within her flesh, diffusing soft light through the body's mesh of nerve and vein, a full moon clouds enclose, or sun transfused through petals of a rose. She woke, and soon we learned she was with child, but ten months' talk had still not reconciled the Brahmin's various theories of her dream. If the child would be hero or god, supreme in war, wealth, luck or wisdom, or consigned to some strange destiny still undefined. 
When, with her maids, the queen set out today for Devadaha, six hours' journey away, to see her parents, and, she hoped, give birth in her own city. Above the rutted earth and dust of the long road, her palanquin floated like a gold ship, shadowed within by silk curtains, steered by courtiers' hands, sensitive to the road's uneven demands, until they came to Lumbini, a grove midway between our cities. There above the road, green branches make a roof, and throw light-shaken shadows to the grass below, and paths fold in among the flowering trees, dim labyrinths where songbirds and wild bees take refuge from the sun. The cavalcade paused here. The queen stepped down into the shade to rest through the hot hours, and pacing in the cool, she felt her labour bangs begin. She had no choice, but called her ladies round, who gathered in a circle and unwound a bale of cotton cloth to improvise seclusion for her. In that grove there rise everywhere silver trunks of the sal-trees, and reaching up she caught at one of these, grasping a bough which seemed, she said, to bend like her reflection towards her, so its end was well within her reach. It took her weight, and there, standing, she bore our child, as fate decreed, quite unprepared. And yet all thought the gods were there, that shining hands first caught the child descending, before human hands could grasp him, that the atmosphere, which stands hushed and palpably dry at noon, was swept by sparkling dews, as if gods laughed and wept and brandished winds, until, seeming to share the aftershock of birth, both earth and air, trembled as though the pillars of the world moved on their plinths. Some said white flowers, pearled with fresh dawn dew, sprang where his foot-soles pressed the grass an instant, when the nurse, to test his strength and fortune, held him near the ground to stride his newborn's will, that he looked around as if he recognised each person there, in that brief moment, when the mind still clear, not yet subdued to its fresh childish mould, can pierce one with the wisdom of the old, and then became all child, turning to rest, content and sleepy, on his mother's breast. These are the stories. Now, sage, interpret them. The king sat back. Asita thumbed the hem of his cotton robe, considered the weave of events and the thread of the story unwinding. O king, these portents, he said, may be real or unreal. But if this one saw or that one, and what is seen makes a pattern, the law for the seer is this, to interpret the pattern alone, not regarding the separate motive of this one or that one. I see such a pattern unfold. One thing is clear, that by his own wish this child is born here. By wish the first step of the road to power has chosen out a proper place and hour to enter the world. What else may lie ahead is still unfixed, and nothing can be said by one who has not seen the prince. The eye elaborates whole poems around points that lie quite lost to memory. Let him be brought here. His past and the scope of his future may appear. The king considered. The boy may be asleep. Long is the journey to birth, and the pathway steep a child must take to gasp in human air. 
he rests in his mother's arms. Let him nestle there, untroubled, tonight at least. A nurse can take child from mother by day, when he happens to wake. But Asita shook his head, the sunk eyes sparkling. Not long do such great beings sleep, O king. Such beings are inclined to wakefulness. But for us who would know them, one hour more or less may measure our opportunity. Time is short. Already the signs may be fading. Let him be brought. The king shivered, acknowledging what was said in full at last. With a movement of the head, called an attendant, spoke and rose from his seat. Asita cleared his heart of thoughts, the deceit of desire and expectation, to follow silent, inwardly, outwardly, the king and the servant, down walks that passed a garden intricate as an astrolabe, tilted towards the great etched living silver disk of the moon, then turned to the dark of a hall where a shaded oil lamp burned. Out of the mothering darkness, a woman stared a moment, then let fall a curtain. King and long-haired ascetic waited, suspended, knowing as men the depth of a hidden female world. Unshaken, the lamp's flame stood at centre of the night, and they stood without speaking. Then in a bright bustle of laughter and shawls, three women swept through the arch and knelt. She in the centre kept close wrapped in her arms a child, swathed in raw silk, and where the fringe brushed the child's cheek, its milk-white cleanliness was stunned by the gold light of the boy's complexion, for to Asita's sight the new skin blazed like fire. Before she could lay, respectful, the child at his feet, he felt himself sway as if fainting forward but gripped his staff to kneel abandoned at the child's feet, where he could feel the light of the mind break over him in waves, his heart torn loose by joy like a man who saves himself barely by one hand that still keeps gripped to a raft, while an ocean current sweeps over him, through him, ebbing and stilling at length to let him draw breath and gather in his strength. Raising his eyes, he looked as a child at a child, and the boy knew him, and understood, and smiled. Nonplussed in delight, Asita's heart was stilled on the verge of astonished laughter. The hall had filled behind him with courtiers, servants, all who could come to witness some great and strange event, but the thrum of subdued voice and eager thought could not blemish the space of silence where old man and child paused face to face. The placid hands unfolding of the cloth ceased, and the Sita broke his gaze, though loath to take his eyes from those blue depths to look at the naked, shining child. As a written book to us were the body's marks to the sages of old. Proportion, feature, and subtle aura told their own story to those who had eyes to see, and Asita, entranced, contemplated a body of the perfect human archetype, complete from the light-crowned head to the wheel-marked hands and feet. The thirty-two great and eighty lesser signs focused to living utterance, 
the lines of the ancient verses breathing and expressed through harmony of head and limbs and breast, the tides of versatile energy within the gentle radiance of the golden skin, signs of a world emperor, or more, a freer of worlds. The melodious cries, the jaw like a little lion's, made for uttering truth soundly, sweetly, told that neither in youth nor in great age would this one turn away from his self-set task. Not in an hour or a day would these marks fade. Then, like an aged oak, transfixed and shuddering, when the lightning stroke pierces it to the core, and every vein flooded with power flourishes again, gold crackling leaves of energy and fire, that lifts its head a moment, towering higher to grapple earth and sky with crooked hands, uttering thunder while its body stands bridging the worlds. Asita rose full height and turned towards the king, his eyes alight with more than human joy. Tonight, O king, the world's great year wheels round to its new spring. Now human hands and woven cloth can hold a child whose touch will turn the age to gold, a prince whose empire will outspread the span of space and memory allowed to man, who in the battle of a single night will scatter greed and hate in headlong flight. Yet, scorning thrones and palaces, will love an empty mountain or a forest grove, and seated at the wild fig's knotted root, break in his mouth the three worlds' sweetest fruit, while serpent kings, furled round the ancient tree, sway gold-tiled hoods to make his canopy. Out of all farmers, this one shall be best, raising from one ploughed furrow boundless harvest where no seed sprouts, pilot of matchless craft, over the pitching seas shall steer a raft to carry myriads into safety, far from the world's hunger and the heart's grim war, sleepless steersman whose quiet eye will find a hidden star map for the clouded mind. Look at him well, your child is the new sun by whose long light the coming age will run. Not all will hear. Though he teach gods and men, the fevers of the world will rage again. Cities like this in gold will rise and set. War-driven fleets on hostile seacoasts fret. Blood-clot iron shriek, forests fall, envy kill, delirious creatures hunt new wealth to spill. But while the faintest echo of his voice persists, there will remain a different choice, a hidden pathway which this prince shall teach, by which, through the heart's stillness, all may reach safety, coolness, clear light, a jewelled gate, a garden where the unspoiled virtues wait.